We are in chapter 37 of Genesis, and last week I told you, those of you who are here, I knew that it was Memorial Day, a lot of people might be traveling, so rather than diving in in detail, uh, I simply suggested that we take a broad brush look at Joseph's life so you can kind of see what we're going to be looking at. So let me just run that by you real quickly for those of you that weren't here. There are four seasons or chapters in the life of Joseph. And in my opinion, I think the life of Joseph next to the life of Christ is the most fascinating study of anybody in Scripture. It starts out, Joseph and his family. We'll be seeing some of that today. Then Joseph in Potiphar's house. Then Joseph in prison. And then Joseph with Pharaoh in Egypt. Those are the progressions in his life. The beauty of his life is it's a strict narrative. You can just follow it. There's nothing broken up. It's just a strict narrative. It's chronological. You can walk all the way through. There's probably more said about or by Joseph in words than maybe anybody else in the Old Testament, his actual statements. Uh, he's a fascinating individual. Much is said about him because there's 14 chapters devoted to his life. And he plays a major, major role in all of Old Testament history right up into the New Testament. We also gave you a definition for the word providence because what we're looking at here is God is not just a God of major events, He's a God of detail. And we see all these little tiny details that if they didn't fall into place, if there wasn't anger here or hatred there or jealousy or envy, the Messiah would have never come. Now, of course, God in His sovereignty would have brought Him, but in the story that is told, it wouldn't have happened. All right, And so we see how God, in providence, the definition is, God is able to leverage the good, the bad, and the ugly to bring to fruition his sovereign purposes. That's what he does. Because it always looks like the Messiah is not coming, even after the Abrahamic covenant and the promise in Genesis 3.15 that the seed of the woman will eventually come and crush the head of the serpent. But it, it keeps looking like it's going to get derailed. But it never does because God is sovereign. And in the daily providences of God, he never violates someone's moral uh, responsibility or their will. He allows them to live out their lives, and in some miraculous way, he brings to pass what he wants to come to pass. I don't understand it. I just read it, and there it is before us. So we're going to look at the first 11 verses today, and I think I'm just going to read three because of time, and then we'll walk through the others as we go. Let's take a look starting in verse 1. We read this. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bela and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his sons, because he had been born of his old age, and he made a richly ornamented robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Lord, I pray today we would see the depths of our own hearts in this account, and we just praise you for it and thank you for this revelation. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me paint a picture for you. You're probably not going to remember all the names, but just keep this in mind. Jacob is married to four women. That's a problem right away, all right? He's getting married to four, four women. 
His favorite is Rachel. His least favorite at the beginning, of, as far as the two wives are concerned, is Leah. This right away is favoritism and it causes a problem. Then he has two concubines, two women that he also raises up children with, um, Billa and Zilpah, okay? And so the children of Billa and Zilpah are half-brothers to, J- to, to Joseph. So what we're seeing here is a long line of favoritism, starting way back when Isaac and Rebekah showed favoritism to different children, Jacob and Esau. That caused massive problems. Then Jacob shows favoritism to Rachel. Now he's going to show favoritism to Joseph. And so there's a lot of problems that are taking place here. Also, Joseph is the youngest son. He's number 11. But now Benjamin has been born. We'll talk about Benjamin later on. Benjamin has now been born, so he is the youngest child, okay? And all this plays into everything, all the details. And so sometimes, I think in in an account like this, we think something is bad, but it turns out to be good. As a matter of fact, the, maybe the central verse, which is one of the finishing verses in Genesis, when Joseph is talking to his brothers that have tried to kill him, he says, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. And we see this over and over again. We, we see, you know, Joseph getting a, this coat of many colors or whatever kind of a coat it was. Well, well, well that's good. His brothers were jealous. Well, that's bad. But his father loved him. Well, that's good. But the brothers throw him into, into a prison. Well, that's bad. Well, he's fled from an immoral woman. Well, that's good. And you don't know whether it's good or bad. You can't tell. And the same is true with your own life. Something that is bad that happens, you don't know how God, in his providence, is working this out, which is the value of these biblical revelations, these stories that we begin to see throughout Scripture. So now you have kind of the big picture. Uh, Joseph is a very, very important character. And Joseph, uh, there's a strange twist in all of this. Because as you're reading, as you're reading about Joseph, you're thinking, oh, I I know where this story is going. If you'd never read it before, you're thinking, see, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the major patriarchs through whom that line, the blessing is going to come, the seed of Abraham, the promised Messiah, it's going to come. Joseph, look at what he's done. He's got to be next in line. He's not. Jesus does not come through the line of Joseph. He comes through Judah. And there's this twist. And you're, you're kind of shocked as you're reading through. You're going, wait a minute. How can this be? This is the guy. God used Joseph as the launching pad to make sure that the promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob would eventually be fulfilled. Because it's Joseph who is, is now the head of, of Egypt, or second in command of Egypt later on, which we'll see, and his brothers come down, and they bow down to him. They have to get grain, and then they wind up in the land of Goshen in Egypt, and that becomes the 12 tribes, and it's through the tribe of Judah that Jesus comes. But Joseph is the one. He's the launching pad for all of this. There is no sin recorded in his life. It doesn't mean he's not sinless because he came from the line of, of Adam. He, he is a sinful person, all right? But there's no recorded sin. And we, we'll see some of that as we walk through this. So he's a, he's a major, major per, uh, person here. And we see all this favoritism. And now favoritism is coming to a boiling point. It's coming to a boiling point. Because what we have now seen is that his father, 
has made him a coat of whatever it is, long sleeves, many colors, whatever. It's an ostentatious type of coat, and this is causing problems. One of the main themes in the life of Joseph, particularly in these early chapters, is to show you the comparison between what it looks like to be obedient to God, even in difficult circumstances, as opposed to his disobedient brothers. We see these juxtaposed. We can, we can see sort of the, 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 the comparison between the two. Joseph is this young man of outstanding character. He's following the things of God. He never complains. He never whines about anything. His brothers, on the other hand, are very upset with him because Jacob has shown very, very clear, conspicuous favoritism. So, the first two verses simply talk about the fact that Joseph has brought back an evil report or a bad report. Now, I've read enough from what different people say about that. Some people say, oh, he's a tattletale and, you know, he went a spoiled brat and so on. But the text doesn't say that. The text does not say he was a spoiled brat. As a matter of fact, his brothers had already been in trouble at chapter 34 where they wiped out the Shechemites. They killed them. His brothers were bad news. And I think his father said, you need to keep an eye on them. Bring me back. Tell me what's going on. So he comes back with this evil report. I don't think he was a tattletale, but we don't know. The scriptures don't clearly tell us. We don't even know what the evil report totally was about. But the fact of the matter is that he comes back with this report. This really sets the brothers off. This is really, really gets them upset. As a matter of fact, if you look at, um, when we looked at verse 3, it talks about how uh, it's because he had been born of his old age and his father shows this very, very conspicuous favoritism. And you've heard me say that favoritism so often is not intentional. But to the person who is not favored, it feels like it's intentional. In this case, it's intentional. He really likes Joseph because Joseph and Benjamin are children of Rachel, his favorite wife. So you see this favoritism just flowing from Isaac and Rebekah, Jacob, all the way on through. And this causes problems. Which is why in the home, in the church, in business, wherever, you've got to be very careful that you're not coming across as playing favorites. Sometimes it's worth even talking to your children. Do you think that we favor one child over another? What have you. It's just good to keep short accounts in that because people can still feel it even if it's not conspicuous in your attempts. In verse 4, it says, when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than them, they hated him and could not even speak a kind word to them. Now, a couple of things here when we, when we look at this, at this particular text. Favoritism will automatically, over a period of time, create jealousy and or envy, which will eventually create hatred which in some cases may wind up creating murder. All right? Something goes wrong. Something goes haywire. And in this particular account, I want to make sure we understand the difference between jealousy and envy. We often sort of interchange those. Envy is, I want what you have. I want your BMW, and I'm envious that you have it. And I hope you get a scratch in it. And that, that's, you know, you play that little video? Okay. Though you tell people, oh, I'm so excited that you got the new BMW. <laughs> I hope it gets this great. You're not happy at all. All right, okay. Jealousy is wanting to be 
who somebody else is. I want their position. Why didn't I get that, that position? Or who they are. You're jealous of who someone is. You're envious of what they have. All right? These two come together in this text. And they conspire together to bring about the hatred. The incredible hatred. They're conspiring together. These things consume people's lives. And it's a serious, serious matter. Because all of us have experienced these things somewhere along the line. And it's causing major problems. They are envious because he has this nice robe or coat. And they're jealous because of who he is. He is now going to be in charge. He's the authority. Reuben is the oldest. This should all go to Reuben. But it's going to Joseph. Joseph's not going to receive the blessing when the Messiah comes, but he does get the birthright. He's, he's getting everything, all right? At least it's supposed to come to him. So we can see that this is causing major problems amongst the brothers. There's a lot of turmoil that, that's going on. And when you pause and you look at, it, at something like this and you say, boy, they, they can't even speak a word to him. Uh, they hate him. And this is when the scriptures come off the page and we have to say, is there anybody presently or even looking back in the past, that I have found myself so envious of, so jealous of, nothing ever seems to go wrong. Everything seems to come my way. What's the problem? And you just, you play these videos, you almost wish something bad would happen so they could at least experience some kind of suffering in life, and things just keep going on really well. What you're really saying is, God, you made a mistake. We're actually mad at God. We don't think we are. But if we understand the providence and the sovereignty of God, God has you where you are. Now, you may have brought certain things upon yourself as I've brought certain things upon myself. But the fact that somebody gets a raise or somebody gets a, a special position, God raises up kings and brings them down. We can vote. We can do all kinds of things. But ultimately, it's God's choice. I don't know how all that fits. I just know it does. I read it over and over again. So if I think that I should have had that or this didn't go my way, I've got to pause and say, God, am I actually mad at you because you didn't work things out? And, and sometimes we can't. And sometimes we're the ones that have, that have caused the, the major problem. So, and now we find that these brothers can't even speak a kind word to him. It's not hard to read between the lines. They've gotten together. They have conspired. They want to kill him. We'll see that in, in, in some weeks to come. But here they are. They're angry. They're bitter. They're jealous. They're and everything is, is not going the way they want. And this is now coming to a head. And Joseph just happens to be the target. All right? And he, he's, he's done nothing wrong. He's just going about. And even if he was a jealous brat, you would think that Reuben, who's considerably older than Joseph, you would think, you know, I'm kind of the, I'm kind of the lead dog here. I'm kind of the head of the family. And, and uh, come on, guys. He's 17. He's immature. You know, okay, dad likes him a lot. Okay, give him a coat. So what? Let's, let's move on. But he doesn't. And they've come together and there's gossip and slander taking place because we read later on about how they conspire to, to kill him. So there's some real serious issues that are taking place. And here's another little message here. And that is there isn't just one brother that's angry with him. It's collective anger. It's collective hatred. Listen to these words of Jesus in John 7. The world hates me because I testify of its evil. John 15. If you go along with the world, they'll love you. But if you follow me, they will hate you too. Where are we today? 
with the sexual revolution? Where are we today with the fetal heartbeat and all the states? What has Hollywood done? What are major corporations doing? They're blackballing people that have a moral conscience in these different areas. I don't want to get off on that particular issue. It's not even a political issue. It's a moral issue. But you can see that the world, it's now mob rule almost. If you're not involved in this sexual revolution, if you're not in favor of it, you're a hateful person. You're on the wrong side of history. No, we're on the right side of Scripture. We love people that disagree with us, but we still need to take a strong stand. But that's just the point here is that what came off the page to me as I was reading it, this is mob rule. They're all coming together, and there's some serious issues that are taking place. Okay, let's take a look at verses 5 through 8. Joseph had a dream, and when he had told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. Now you'll notice that the trajectory of the hatred is increasing. All right? He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright, while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. All right? So we have this these uh, stalks that are gathered up and, and all their stalks are bowing down and they're picking up on this real click, clearly as to what this, this is really coming to mean. Verse 8, And his brothers said to him, Do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Alright? Unchecked jealousy Unchecked envy leads to hatred. Unchecked hatred will eventually lead to murder in many cases. I don't know what happened in Virginia Beach. I don't know about the guy that uh, was a disgruntled employee. But I suspect most people wouldn't have imagined that he could do something that he did in killing 12 people. And we just see this over and over again. And usually when they go back, they say, gosh, nice guy. He kept a nice house. He was fun to the kids. And I don't, I don't know, but you don't know what's in a person's heart. But somebody, but something was in this man's heart that, was, that got to a point of hatred. He was disgruntled. And, and it just shows you what, what takes place when you allow these things, when I allow these things to fester inside and build up, and we have anger, and sometimes even towards our own family and siblings and people at work and so on. It's not healthy, and we just follow this, and I'll get into that in just a moment. Joy is sapped from people that just harbor hatred and bitterness. It consumes people's lives. And this is why forgiveness is such a huge deal. And in chapter 50, we see where Joseph forgives his brothers. And now, verses 9 and following, Then he had another dream, and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream, and this time the sun and moon. And 11 stars were bowing down to me. This is the whole family now, all right? When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to you before the, in the ground? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. And I read that and I thought, Mary says the same thing after Jesus is born. And she pondered these things in her heart. I think Jacob, or, or uh, yes, Jacob is getting to a point now where he's thinking, maybe I don't know what all this is about. Maybe this is going to take place. What's going on here? He seems to be pretty angry at first, then he seems to, to settle down. But here's the issue. You read a text like this, we study a text like this, but the Scriptures make it very clear in the New Testament. The Old Testament is written for an example. We know that all Scripture is inspired, and it's good for 
reproving and rebuking and exhorting. All right? This should exhort us. It should also convict us. It should strike us. Because we look at our own lives and we say, is there anybody in my life that I actually hate? Is there anybody in my life that I wish were dead? Is there anybody in my life in the past? Is it still there? Am I still playing the videos? Maybe it's not at that point. It's just, it's just extreme jealousy. It, it's, it's, it's anger. It's, it's bitterness. All these things. Well, the scriptures speak to this in a number of places. Hebrews chapter 12. Don't let a root of bitterness spring up within you lest it defile many, many by resisting the grace of God and it defiles many. Look what this is doing. Look, look at this. You know, the, the, Leah is hurting, the concubines are hurting, the kids are hurting, everybody's hurting because Joseph has sparked this thing by his favoritism. And now it's gone to just exceeding levels of, of, of hatred. So we look at this and we say, is, is there a reflection here in my own life? Galatians chapter 5 gives a whole list. And here are those things that are in the flesh. And then it gives a whole laundry list of sinful, evil things that dwell in every human heart. It, one, you might say, well, I have some of this, but not this. No, we have it all. It just hasn't been let on fire yet. But everybody is capable of committing any sin at any time. We don't think we can. Wherefore a man thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. You're in the greatest danger of thinking that this can't happen to you or it can't happen to me. So we also find in Proverbs chapter 14, it says, The peaceful mind brings health, but bitterness is rottenness to the bones. So we see in Hebrews, we see in Proverbs, we see in Galatians, we see all these different things. And in Galatians it goes on and talks about the fruit of the Spirit. It gives the nine uh, portions of the fruit of the Spirit. And, and, and there's a comparison here, and we see this comparison, literally, of, of Joseph and his brothers. And we're looking at a man of character and people that have no character. Now, I'm going to break from this text for a moment, and I'm going to draw something from this. I realize I'm pulling this out a little further than I, than I normally would, but it's only because I've been in the midst of this in talking to a number of people and I want to show you something that Scripture has known for 4,000 years, 3,000 years, 2,000 years. It's known for a long time that we're just discovering. Regarding subjects of envy and jealousy and bitterness and hatred and all these different things. You see, habit will eat willpower for lunch any day of the year. Here's what neurobiologists, neuroscientists are discovering about the brain. It's called neuroplasticity. Don't get me going because I'm not an expert. I just know a little tiny, tiny bit. And that is, when the brain is used to doing something, there is a, a, a little pathway that is carved through your brain. You can see this on MRIs. For example, I like coffee. And if I get up in the morning, my little neuroplasticity says, coffee, coffee, now, now. And even if I say, you know, I've got the willpower, I'm going to give up coffee today. Okay, is the coffee ready? That's, you know, that's, it, it's going to take over. It just, it just takes over, all right? People that have alcoholic problems, 
pornography problems. It could be almost anything. Getting on your cell phone, playing a game, all those kind of things are wiring the brain. All right? They're doing all kinds of studies on this. So here we have these brothers that are hateful, jealous, angry, and we see Joseph, who, which there's no recorded sin, and we see this man moving on to a very positive life. It ends well. He goes through difficult times. There's no doubt. Obedience doesn't always mean that life is going to go well. But because I have had people that I know well and have been involved in some of this study, and I've been online and I've seen Christians who are neuroscientists and understand this, and places that people go to actually have their, briar, their, their brains rewired from a biblical perspective without them knowing it's biblical. There are secular places that are now discovering how to rewire the brain. And I, I know from first hand, from having read certain things and talking to somebody that has been through a particular training center, and through that training center, as they were explaining it to me, I thought, wow, and they knew it too. When you go there, they will say, we are not new age, this is not the power of positive thinking, uh, and it's not spiritual. This is strict science. And they will have scientists up there that, that will speak to this issue. Uh, neuroscientists. Might be one or two that are believers, but most aren't. Listen carefully to what they tell you you need to do. Don't let any thought come into your mind that is negative. Can you think of a verse? Take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. They're not going to mention Christ. They'll just say, don't, don't take on those things. They'll say, when you go to bed angry, you're going to have problems. It's going to cause all kinds of physical problems. What does the Bible say? Don't let the sun go down on your wrath, on your anger. Here's one. Oh, I, don't, I, don't even, I just don't even want to read this one because this, I do this all the time. It says, they, they, say, they make it really hard. They say, stop whining. Stop murmuring. Stop complaining. They really drive that one home. What does Philippians say? Do all things without murmuring and complaining. But here's what they tell you to do. They tell you to replace it because when I'm in a traffic jam, believe me, I'm not smiling. All right? Here's what they tell you to do. Oh, you're in a traffic jam. There's 4,000 cars in front of you. You're going to be six hours late. I am so thankful that I at least have a car. And I'm so thankful that the cars all have different colors. Look at all those colors. They do. They do. That's exactly what they teach you to do. And it's exactly what Scripture tells you to do. And here's another one. Because I do a lot of complaining. But anyway, here's another one. Speak words of healing to people. Don't say negative words. Do not gossip. Do not slander. They just beat this death. These, this is the world, the secular world, because they're discovering what it's doing to the brain. What does is, what is Ephesians 4.29 say? Let no corrupt communication come out of your mouth, but that which ministers grace to the hearer. They're almost quoting the verses. Here's another one. Avoid negative thoughts. In other words, don't even, not just so much of just taking in thoughts, but avoid dwelling upon negative thoughts. And it's hard. It's really hard not to do that because it's, it's our nature. Uh, here's one. It says, um, it says, don't allow any bitterness to be in you. They talk about jealousy and envy and bitterness. They say it just causes horrific problems. 
I warned a guy years ago that had a tremendous bitterness towards me. He had something so confused, I couldn't convince him he was wrong. But I did sit down with him one day and I say, it's going to eat your insides out. Two years later, it did. Had half his stomach cut out, half his intestinal tract cut out. And it, I'm convinced it was just, he just couldn't get over it. Here's one that I found most interesting. Listen to this one. It says, when you go through a difficult time, rejoice. What does the Bible say? Count it all joy when you fall. In. They tell you. I'm, I sat down, I heard this person go through this. I took all, I said, there's a verse for every one of these. The entire conference is secular, built totally on the Bible. Because science is now catching up with what Scripture has taught for 4,000 years. They're just getting it. This has always been the case. God does not need to tell me what happens if I let the sun go down to my anger. He doesn't owe me that. He doesn't owe me that it's rottenness to my bones if I'm bitter. He doesn't owe me that. Sometimes he'll tell you. Sometimes he doesn't. But here's the issue. Here's the real issue. You don't just go to this for three days or four days and now you're fine. You know what they tell you to do? They tell you to go home and your homework is one hour every single morning of meditating on these things. I think there's a verse for that. <laughs> Meditate day and night. And the people that are going through these programs, they're catching themselves all the time in traffic jams, or whatever, just constantly catching themselves because the brain is now starting to be rewired. And the new habit is to rejoice, be thankful, you know, all those things, you're getting rid of bitterness, and guess what happens? People are starting to get physically healed from all kinds of diseases. This is not a name it and claim it, this is science. And God is showing you, he's, when, when you read these stories, we can't help but say, is that me? Is, is, is this me that is, that, that is into this? And this program is just six months. God tells us for our lives. This is why we're to be in this, in this book, because it speaks to our hearts. And it gives us revelation, revelation that, that still science is, is, is finding out and learning. And it's, it's just absolutely amazing what is taking place. But when I think of meditating day and night, and I think of Joseph, no recorded sin, no recorded sin of Daniel, all right? But when I think of it, there is somebody of whom there's no recorded sin because there was no sin to record. And you know, you might, you might have been here for a while, maybe this it still hasn't sunk in, or maybe you're visiting here today. I, I just want to make something real clear, because I know I say it a lot, and I don't want it to become just, you know, just one more thing. I've heard that a thousand times. Listen carefully. You might be battling bitterness, and anger, and guilt, and shame, and hatred, and envy, and jealousy. You might have it all just stuffed inside, all right? And you don't know what to do with it. Well, you're not going to get healed of that totally in this life. But there was somebody... They didn't have any of that in them. None of it. They lived an absolutely perfect life. And that's Jesus. And that's what this points to. Because this story of Joseph, as I said, he's the launching pad to bring about the 12 tribes. And one of those tribes is Judah. And it's through that the line that Messiah comes. Who had no hatred and jealousy and envy and bitterness and all that in him. And as a result of that, when he went to the cross, he took your hatred, my hatred, jealousy, envy, bitterness, all of our sin, and dealt with it. He became sin for us. And when he rose again, it demonstrated that he had had victory over sin and death and hell and the grave. 
and he offers eternal life and that perfection to anyone who believes the message. You have to bring this message in and say, I realize I can't save myself, I realize I can't deal with these issues, but somebody has. And I'm going to put my faith in Jesus Christ because I believe he's the only one that can heal me. And that's what this is really all about. Every single message, everything eventually points to that. That's the message. So if you're not a believer, today would be a great day to call upon the Lord that you might be saved. Even if you don't understand all of this, all you need to know is Christ died and paid the penalty for your sin and rose again and trust Him for it. If you're a believer and you're still playing these videos, as I do so often, things that our sibling did or somebody did or whatever, it's not healthy, it's not good, it's not wise. And as we meditate day and night, day and night, God begins to change the brain. He's an amazing God, and He understands the brain, and He understands the spirit, and you notice how all that fits together. And in His providence, He will work everything out to bring to fruition His sovereign plan for your life and mine. Let's pray. Father, thank You for the privilege that we have had today to look into Your Word Lord, I pray should there be one here or ten that do not know you, that today would be the day that in the quietness of their heart they would call upon you to give them everlasting life, that they might be saved. And Father, I just thank you so much for the privilege we've had to look into this. And I pray, Father, for, for those that are believers, that they would see, uh, Lord, the need to get rid of, of anything in their hearts and minds that is not consistent with you, to meditate day and night. Now, Lord, may this last number be an encouragement to all of us. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.